The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to NeuroMatters, the Brink of Alzheimer's with Dr. Sam Brinkman. Our program brings together individuals who struggle with Alzheimer's disease or other disorders and noted professionals who can provide answers and timely information related to these disorders. Now, here is your host, Dr. Sam Brinkman. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to NeuroMatters, the Brink of Alzheimer's. I am your host, Dr. Sam Brinkman, and I welcome you to our program. This is a program about Alzheimer's disease and the dementias, and it is my desire to honor uh, that uh, frequently uh, uh, referenced saying that knowledge is power, and I want to make you powerful, and I want to make you strong as you navigate the system of healthcare when problems like Alzheimer's disease or some other dementia come up. Now, before we go into today's program, I want to thank uh, two people. One is Howard Gretzner. Actually, I'm thanking his voice. He did not uh, redo the program, but last week I had a hip replacement done, and uh, that was done on Tuesday morning, and my wife assured me that I was in no condition to do a radio program Tuesday evening. So uh, I thank Howard for allowing us to replay the program that he did back in January talking about the uh, stress and, uh, and challenges that caregivers have and how best to manage those things. Howard is one of the most knowledgeable people I've ever met on that topic, and I know that uh, many were blessed by his by the replay of that program. And second, of course, the wonderful people at Voice America who uh, are always adaptable and always ready to do the things that need to be done to put on a good program. So they were able to plug in that program for me so that I could simply enjoy the benefits of anesthesia and hip surgery and uh, not have to do something as challenging as this. Well, our guest this, e- this evening is Dr. Trista Bailey. Dr. Bailey is a board-certified pharmacotherapy specialist who is on the Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center School of Pharmacy as an assistant professor for the Department of Pharmacy Practice, and her specialty is geriatrics. Dr. Bailey currently has a practice site as a consultant pharmacist for two nursing homes and an assisted living facility in the Abilene area where she looks after about 150 patients. She also hosts monthly informational sessions on geriatric-related topics at two different retirement centers in this area. Uh, Dr. Bailey received her Bachelor of Science with honors from Texas Tech University in 2007 and her Doctorate of Pharmacy from the University of Texas at Austin and the University of Texas Health Science Center at San Antonio dual degree program in 2011. She then went on to complete an ASHP-accredited ambulatory care geriatrics-focused residency with the Battle Creek Veterans Affairs Medical Center. Trista, welcome to the program. Well, thank you for having me. 
I have to say with your credentials and with the experiences that you've had in a number of different settings, I know that you bring information that is going to be very helpful to our readers. What interested you in the world of pharmacy and pharmacology? Well, I've always been very interested in how medications work. Um, I've always loved medicine, um, seeing it be able to change people, um, specifically in geriatrics. I was uh, fortunate to be raised um, in the same city with both sets of my grandparents. and so That's wonderful. I, it really was. And, and at a very young age, it instilled with me a very strong desire and respect for the elderly population. Um, my grandfather was a veteran of the Korean War. Um, so I've always just had this utmost respect for being able to um, help out and give back to the geriatric population. And I see that you were at the Battle Creek VA Medical Center. I thank your grandfather for his military service. And this is a gift not just from him, but from his family as well. And it's a a gift to a wonderful country. And I'm glad that you also uh, see him in that light. Definitely. Well, Well, medications in the United States, you know, we look to medications as solutions to a lot of different kinds of things. And, you know, generally medications hold up their responsibilities well. You know, sometimes we don't have something that is uh, available for the specific condition, but uh, the area of uh, pharmaceuticals has grown so rapidly and is a very big segment now of our national economy. It's an area in which there has been a great deal of success, but it's an area also that we rely on heavily and at times focus on its failures and shortcomings as well. It's very easy to overlook when we talk about medications, and the public talks about medications, whether that be over-the-counter or prescribed, um, very easy to overlook the complexities and limitations of this very complicated world, isn't it? Definitely. One of the things that I uh, would like for us to be able to do this evening is help our listeners understand not necessarily about a specific medication or another, but medications generally. Um, when a person takes a medication, um, the, we would like to say to that medication, go to the brain and do this, or go to the heart and do this, but that medication is distributed throughout the body. And I would appreciate if you would talk just for a little bit about what these terms terms um, of uh, bioavailability and pharmacokinetics mean? Sure. When we talk about pharmacokinetics, we're basically explaining how a medication um, reacts in the body. So we have a, a nice acronym to remember how pharmacokinetics works. It's ADME, or absorption, distribution, metabolism, and excreted. So when we talk about absorption, most of the medications we take are going to be orally. So it's absorbed in our stomach, our intestines. And that's when bioavailability comes into play. Bioavailability is how much of that medication or that pill you're taking is actually absorbed. Now, ideally, we would like to have 100% bioavailability, meaning that when you take that pill, you get all 100 grams or milligrams of the Lipitor or the antibiotic that you're taking. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there are certain medications that have very, very low bioavailability. And um, this means that when you take the medication, not much of it is absorbed. Um, these are going to be medications like your bisphosphonates, um, like Actinel or Fosamax. 
which you take for osteoporosis. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, this medication, these medications are so low bioavailability, they're less than 1% absorbed in the stomach. Because of that, we um, have ways to combat that. So you take these types of medications on an empty stomach. A lot of times when your doctor or your pharmacist tells you to take a, a medication on an empty stomach, it's because you don't need anything competing with the bioavailability. So your body can't be absorbing nutrients from your food and this medication. I see. Um, Also, the longer you go without having any kind of food in your stomach. So with the bisphosphonates, we ask that you take that medication on an empty stomach and do not eat for 30 30 minutes to 60 minutes after taking it. Um, So that's how the medication is absorbed. Um, This changes when you're an older adult. Uh, Oftentimes when you're an older adult, the um, acidity in your stomach actually changes and becomes a little bit more basic, so you don't absorb medications as well as you did. Medications are usually formatted to be um, absorbed at a certain pH. And when you're, and you grow older, sometimes that pH doesn't allow medications to be absorbed as quickly or as, as well. So does the pH tend to go up or down with age? pH will go down. Or either down. way. It'll go down, meaning that you have a more basic environment. I see. Okay. Yes. Um, now, the, the good thing is also as you age, your transit of your, of your intestines slows down. So even though you're not um, absorbing the medication as much, you're, everything's staying in your stomach for longer, so it has more time to absorb. So generally, as you age, the absorption of your medications stays the same because of the kind of ebb and flow of even though you're not going to be absorbing as much because of the pH changing, it stays in your stomach because the the intestinal transit doesn't go as quickly. Mm -hmm. Now, distribution is a little bit different when you talk about pharmacokinetics. Um, As you age, you actually uh, tend to get a larger fat supply. So for medications that are lipid-soluble or fat-soluble, they tend to stick around for longer in the body. So older folks need actually lower doses of medications that are fat-soluble. These are going to be medications like your benzodiapines, like Xanax, Ativan, Valium. Um, And certainly we we are well aware of what a a, uh, problem they can present in elderly, and this partially explains why, doesn't it? Exactly. That's why you need lower doses because they stick in the body for longer because your fat stores increase as you age, unfortunately. Um, also, yeah, your total body water increases or decreases. I'm sorry, excuse me, it decreases. So basically you have less of a tank to fill up if you consider your body kind of a tank. Uh-huh. Um, so again, you need lower doses of medications. So this is another reason why low-dose medications are very important in the elderly population. Now, metabolism is a little bit different. Most drugs are metabolized through the liver. Um, and depending on the type of metabolism it goes through, it may or may not be altered. Um, and then most medications are excreted through the kidneys, and unfortunately as you age, your kidneys slow down um, and aren't able to excrete medications as appropriately. So there is much change as far as pharmacokinetics whenever you're taking medication and as you grow older. 
So, I like your acronym. <laughs> um, so, we look at absorption, distribution, metabolism, and excretion, and we look at in a person who is otherwise an, a healthy older person already changes in each of these areas if we then add to that the potential presence of other diseases or conditions, it becomes even more complicated. Well, you've taken a very complicated concept and just made it very easily, and I suspect that that's why you teach and do research also, right? Yes, I, I I hope I did. All right. Um, Well, we are going to go to a break in uh, just a little bit here, and we are talking with Dr. Trista Bailey, and she has just been explaining to us when a medication goes into the body orally, four different uh, processes that will take place that will influence whether that medication is going to do its job properly and whether it will be at the right dose to do its job or whether it will be broken down and eliminated from the body properly as well. So having made that very simple, please stay with us as we go to break and we will be back with Dr. Trista Bailey in just a couple of minutes. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matters system provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray Matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Every day we face struggles and issues concerning addiction, whether it's ourselves, family members, friends, or other loved ones. On Overcoming Addiction, Hope with Prevention, Intervention, and Treatment, Dr. Joe Terhar helps us all better understand the causes and approaches to addressing addiction with the knowledge that no single approach is 100% effective. From guest experts, families, and addicts, you'll hear about what is and is not working in overcoming addiction. Tune in Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
You are listening to Neuro Matters, the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuro Matters. Welcome back to our program. We are talking with Dr. Trista Bailey, who is a board-certified pharmacotherapy specialist on the Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center School of Pharmacy faculty and also is in practice consulting to two nursing homes and an assisted living facility. And Trista, you so eloquently explained to us the the four steps or the four aspects of um, medications becoming available, so-called pharmacodynamics. You talked about absorption, distribution, metabolism, and excretion, and I appreciate how succinctly you expressed that. Now, we... um, know that in each of these areas there are brain-related changes, as you pointed out, changes in pH of the stomach fluids, um, changes in fat supply, total body water, or, uh, you know, total, total body water volume and things like that. There are also conditions that can come up that will affect each of these areas as well, other medical conditions. Is that right? That is correct. Would you talk through some of those for us to give us some examples? Sure. Um, well, and besides medication, or besides medical conditions, medications that you can take actually cause changes um, in one of these: the either absorption, distribution, metabolism, or excretion. Um, for example, if you take a proton pump inhibitor or a PPI, um, these are patients that have chronic reflux disease, like um, taking Nexium or Prilosec, and many of these are over the counter, like Prilosec. Um, Mm -hmm. These can alter your absorption, and it actually causes your stomach acidity to become uh, more basic as well. So this can cause a disruption when you take certain medications. Um, So patients that have chronic reflux, um, patients that have diabetes or Parkinson's disease often have um, gastroparesis, which is basically an even more slowing of the, the intestinal transit. Um, so this can alter absorption as well. Um, when patients have anemia um, or low blood counts because of um, a vitamin B disorder or um, maybe they have something like myeloplastic um, uh, disorder, they mm-hmm. might have uh, issues with albumin. Albumin is basically going to be the... Um, product in your body that's going to be carrying a lot of medications. Um, so this can cause a problem with distribution of medications. Uh, metabolism, which is primarily done through the liver, fortunately, for the most part, is intact in the elderly population. Um, we really don't have a lot of liver problems in the elderly population unless they have something like um, uh, hepatitis or something, which is uh-huh. fairly rare in the elderly population. Um, So for the most part, uh, metabolism stays intact. Where we get into a big problem is patients that have chronic kidney disease. And there's a strong correlation. um, And as as you increase in age, your risk of having some kind of kidney disorder increases as well. So we get a buildup of a lot of medications. And because of that buildup, it makes elderly patients a lot more susceptible to the side effects of medications. 
Now, that's very interesting. You know, um, there's a, a sleep medication that was used for years. It was uh, used for the, the difficulties of midnight awakening, early awakening, frequently awakening. It was a longer half-life type drug. The medication was Delmain, which is not used much anymore. And if I remember right, Delmain in older individuals had a half-life of about 96 hours or, wow. or four days. And, and so by accumulation, well, would, would you describe what accumulation would mean in that type of context? Sure. So um, basically, the best way to picture of it is, is kind of like, um, like a water mill. So you put something in and then it comes out. And you put something in and it comes out. Well, say that the, the funnel to get the water out shrinks. And so you put something in and just a little bit comes out and then you put something in and then even a smaller amount comes out. So pretty soon that tub that you have with the funnel is going to be overflowing. And so that's kind of the idea of accumulation. Um, the, the hole for the medication to come out of the body is, is getting smaller for patients that have chronic kidney disease. And so in an individual for whom uh, dosage X would be very appropriate in, in a young adult, in an older person or an older person with comorbid conditions, that could essentially become a lethal dose, couldn't it? Exactly. And we start seeing um, toxicities in the medications, like um, they may lead to uh, falls in the elderly population, over-sedation. Um, you have to be very careful, like, for instance, patients that are on um, a lot of narcotics, they can have respiratory depression. So it can become a life-threatening disorder um, if you can't excrete medications appropriately. Now, that's a very good point. And, uh, and what, what we can see, this area of toxicity, of course, is something for families out there to be very aware of uh, because it's not unusual at all for somebody to have, let's say, a known mild cognitive disorder, early Alzheimer's disease or early vascular dementia, where the impairments are not real pronounced, but then there's a sudden change. A sudden occurring over a few hours or over a few days, there's a change in that person's functioning, and um, it's hard for families to know what that could mean, right? Exactly, and unfortunately, a lot of medications, um, their toxicities can manifest similar to what you would expect a dementia patient to have. So confusion, um, apathy, um, you know, being tired all the time, uh, that could just be a, a toxicity of a medication, but unfortunately maybe it's being misdiagnosed as a patient's having progressive dementia. And so you, it's you are very, making such a very, very important point there. Yes, it's very important that medications are dosed appropriately for the renal function. And as a consultant pharmacist at my nursing homes, that's one of my major, major pushes and also a push that I, I make my students um, look at is making sure medications are dosed appropriately for the renal function or the kidney function of the, of the patient. So let's talk about your practice then consulting to nursing homes. What is a responsibility? What are the responsibilities that you have in that setting? So as a consultant pharmacist, um, every nursing home has to have a consultant pharmacist. It's a Medicare, Medicaid um, mandate. So um, as a consultant pharmacist, I come in and review patient charts, make sure that there are appropriate medications, make sure their medications are dosed appropriately based on renal function, 
um, making sure that they're on medications that need monitoring. Like if a patient's on warfarin therapy, which is like a blood thinner, um, it's a very potent blood thinner. So we need to make sure that they're being monitored appropriately. So, um, Chris, uh, Tristan, forgive me for interrupting, but uh, so is this like monitoring 100% of the charts or is this taking samples oh, of the charts? Oh, 100% the- of the charts. Oh, I see every single one of my patients once a month. So oh, I, I go through about almost 200 patient charts a month. Um, and, and, you know, I feel like as a pharmacist, since I am, I'm in the charts as a consultant, um, I'm kind of the last line of defense um, as far as making sure people are on appropriate medications. Um, it's a team effort when it comes to elderly um, responsibility and managing polypharmacy. Um, you know, the doctor, the nurses, and the pharmacists all need to play their part. And so I try to do a lot of medication therapy management. You mentioned polypharmacy. And uh, to say the least, that's a very significant problem. Um, talk with our listeners about what polypharmacy means and what kinds of complications arise as a result. Well, polypharmacy is a big topic you could talk about. Um, as you age, uh, the chance that you're on a medication, it, it becomes very high. In fact, 50% of Americans are on, a, are on at least one prescription medication, and 10% of Americans are on five or more prescriptions. Uh, what was that number? 10% on how many? Five or more prescriptions. Wow. Exactly. Um, so... Polypharmacy is basically the idea of being on, on multiple prescription or over-the-counter medications. Now, now, I have to ask this question then uh, with respect to polypharmacy. Are these different medications for different conditions or are they uh, sometimes multiple medications addressing the same problem? It can be both. It can be both. Um, and, it, and it depends. Um, where you really get into a problem with polypharmacy is known as the prescribing cascade. Um, mm. The prescribing cascade is basically you're given a medication and that medication may cause some kind of side effect like stomach upset or um, sedation, makes you tired. While instead of giving you a different medication or, or taking away the offending medication, they will give you a medication to fix that side effect. Well, of course, every medication has a side effect. And so you almost get this waterfall of medications because this one, the original medication. A good example of this actually happened to my grandmother. Um, My grandmother has severe osteoarthritis. So she was having a lot of joint pain. So she went to the doctor and they gave her a pretty powerful um, pain medication. Well, since it was pretty powerful, it gave her a lot of stomach upset. Um, So instead of changing the medication or maybe altering it or reducing the dose, the doctor just gave her something for her her stomach upset. Well, the medication to help her stomach upset actually causes um, low calcium. So the doctor ended up giving her a calcium supplement. Well, the calcium supplement caused constipation. Well, he had to give her something for that. And so within a span of six months, she was on four different medications when all he could have done is maybe lowered the dose of the original medication. And that's, that's the prescribing cascade, and that's where a lot of polypharmacy occurs, unfortunately. And how many of you, our listeners out there, have seen that type of thing come about? Um, 
I, I really like the terminology and I appreciate your explanation. It's one of the mechanisms through which polypharmacy comes about. And um, fortunately, we have in place in these long-term care facilities a scheduled every month review of every individual chart so that you can identify that cascade early in its stages, right? Exactly. We try to lower doses before we try to fix something mm-hmm. with well, another medication. Right. Well, we will come back to the concept of polypharmacy. You know, I recall a uh, study that I read, I'm going to say in the early 1980s, of VA medical centers and the nursing home facilities associated with VA medical centers. Uh, They um, reviewed five of them and found the average number of medications that the uh, residents were taking was, I believe, 13. The average number of diagnosed diseases was about nine. And the average number of psychotropic medications was five or so. And so uh, you talk about polypharmacy, that's a good example of it. So we are going to go to a break. And when we come back from the break, Tristan, I would appreciate talking about that study. And I know it's much different now. A lot was learned from that. But talking about that that, uh, review of organizations and what we learned from that. We are going to go to a break. Please stay with us. And we will be back in just a couple of minutes. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matters system provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray Matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
You are listening to Neuromatters, the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuromatters. Welcome back, and thank you for staying with us as we go into our third segment, talking with Dr. Trista Bailey, who is an assistant professor of pharmacy and specialized in geriatric pharmacy at Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center. We have been talking, Trista, about the concept of polypharmacy, and I'd like to return to that because that's a a vast area that is under um, increased scrutiny and, of course, increased research and teaching interest as well. So would you continue in that discussion for us? Sure. Um, We were talking about the prescribing cascade and how that can contribute to polypharmacy and and cause the... um, being prescribed a medication to treat a side effect of another medication, and pretty soon you have this waterfall effect. Um, Another big contributor to polypharmacy is starting medications that should be stopped by a certain date, but unfortunately, through oversight, they don't get stopped. Um, A very common example of this is medications that are started, um, per se, in the hospital setting, and whenever patients are discharged back home, they unfortunately um, don't get a very appropriate um, look-through on their medications before they're discharged, and they might be discharged with medications that should have been stopped at the hospital. What would Um, be a common medication in that category? The most common I see are going to be proton pump inhibitors, or PPIs. Hmm. My my father actually um, had a heart attack several years ago. He's doing fine now. That's the good Good. news. But... He was, because of uh, his hospital stay and everything, he was started on a, on a PPI um, because of the medications they give you in the hospital. It helps protect your stomach against some of the problems that you might um, have with the IVs and stuff like that. Well, so it was the appropriate medication in the hospital. Correct, exactly. Um, however, it should have been stopped. Usually um, those medications are stopped before patients are discharged home. Unfortunately, it was over over not caught. It was an oversight. And so um, at the time, I was in pharmacy school. So I was being the good pharmacy, pharmacy school daughter that I was. I went <laughs> over the medications with him. Um, and, and I was telling him, you know, based on what I had learned in school at that point, uh, what the medication would have done and everything. And I got to that certain medication. It was uh, a Nexium. And I said, now, Dad, I didn't know you had, had problems with, with reflux disease. I didn't know you were on this medication. And he said, I don't have any problems like that. And, and I said, well, they have you on this medication. And he was like, well, let me ask about that. And so fortunately, he was able to talk to his doctor, and they said, oh, you know, that, that should have been discontinued. Um, so it's very important when you get into new environments, like if you, had, if you or a loved one um, was put into the hospital, and it's very important you review those medications and find out, was the medication stopped? Was there an oversight at the beginning of the hospital stay, and I should be still on this medication, but it was never transcribed? Um, was there a medication that was started that should have been stopped? So this could all lead to problems with um, medication use, and medications that aren't stopped can lead to polypharmacy. Very good point. Very good point. And then one of the last things that can really lead to polypharmacy is just unfortunately the way medicine is is practiced. And I think that kind of alludes to a little bit of the study you were talking about um, that was done at the VA. 
most people, when they have a disease um, or go see the doctor for a doctor's visit, they, they pay a copay. So, so many people are used to having kind of a customer service-based attitude when it comes to medicine. So, I paid money. I want to get a product from it. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, have, I paid money. I want a, an antibiotic. Or I paid money. I want, you know, a different or another medication. Um, so, this could also lead to a lot of polypharmacy-type situations. Now, very interesting. Yes, you know, because the physician does want to address the the concern that brought the patient there, and uh, and the patient does expect that in the system that's set up, and and so the prescription is written. Exactly, and in the elderly population, one of the ways that we try to really combat polypharmacy is risk versus benefit. So, what's the benefit of this medication? Um, is it going to help the patient? Some medications take many years to help the patient. Um, and so another a medication like that is going to be like um, a statin. So a statin typically um, will take about five years to make a big difference in um, preventing, if you're using it for prevention of maybe cardiovascular disease. If you're taking it for cholesterol, it's a little bit different. But if you're using it for more of a um, cardiovascular disease type um, syndrome, then you right. need about five years um, to see a big difference. While elderly patients, particularly once they get into the nursing home, might not have a life expectancy of five years. So do they really need to be on this medication? So um, that might be something looking at the risk versus the benefits. I see what you're saying there. Uh, would you address briefly the problem of chronic pain and medications for chronic pain? Um, yes, there's a big problem with chronic pain, particularly in, in the dementia population because they aren't able to really um, voice their issues with chronic pain. They might manifest as other things, especially behaviors. So it's very important to address chronic pain in the elderly population. Um, when we treat chronic pain, you really want to start with the, the um, lowest dose that can treat the pain. Um, what we generally recommend is going to be Tylenol. Uh, acetaminophen-type products. Um, And, of course, the key there, though, is that the patient would have to be able to communicate with you that the pain is greater or less, how much less, and things like that, right? Exactly. Um, And sometimes in the the dementia population, we end up starting a small dose of Tylenol, maybe Tylenol at bedtime, maybe a very low dose of hydrocodone product. Um, to treat basal pain for patients that we know have chronic pain. And this can definitely help prevent a lot of behaviors in patients with dementia because they tend to act out when they're in pain, but they aren't able to voice that's the problem. And so without really understanding why the behavioral issue might be seen, pain is one of the considerations. Therefore, treat pain to see whether the behavioral uh, challenges are ameliorated to some extent. Exactly, because you would rather want to try to find out what's the the problem rather than escalating to something like an antipsychotic to treat the behavior. Now, there are safeguards in the hospital setting, of course, because the the, um, uh, pharmacy is reviewing medications there on an ongoing basis. There are safeguards in a nursing home setting. Are there safeguards in place in the home setting? The best safeguard you're going to be able to get is um, when you fill your prescriptions at your local pharmacy. Um, When you fill your prescriptions at the local pharmacies, and it's very important that you fill at the same 
pharmacy. Like you don't need to go to several different pharmacies. The reason why is because they keep a list of your medications and all pharmacies have um, different products and different um, programs in place and they automatically run for appropriate drug interactions and um, will do that for you so the pharmacist is able to combat um, and catch anything before that happens. And that's, it's very helpful knowing that that is in place. Of course, the other difficulties with the home safeguards, remembering to take the medications on time or uh, thinking that you haven't taken them and taking another dose and things like that, the, the uh, compliance adherence aspect can be such a challenge. Yes, it can very much. You have seen, I'm sure, these digital medication dispensing systems. Yes, there's quite a few of them on the market. How have you felt about those? What has been your experience with those? You know, they, 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 there are some really good ones out there. They have some that sound an alarm. Um, there's some that actually uh, are electronic, and they can um, tell, like, for instance, if you are a, from a distance from, you know, your, your mom or your dad and you're helping manage medications, um, it will um, tell you if that pill bottle has actually been opened to that day. And so you can say, hey, you know, call your loved one and say, hey, mom, hey, dad, I, don't, I see that you haven't opened up, you know, your 12 o'clock meds yet. Um, now, they're all very expensive. Um, and so that's kind of the biggest drawback, that they're really not readily available for folks. Um, if you can so, afford them, they're helpful, but it's just a very unfortunate thing that they're expensive. So hopefully the technology, the greatest difficulties with technology, of course, are cost and the human interface. In other words, um, it may be very well constructed to do what it does, but it is not user-friendly or does not relate well to people, and people don't relate well to the machine. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Let's transition now into this area called uh, psychopharmacology. What is psychopharmacology? Well, psychopharmacology is going to be looking at um, medical conditions um, or even uh, psychological conditions that are treated with something like a psychoactive medication. A psychoactive medication are considered antidepressants, antipsychotics, um, anti-anxiety medications, um, sedative hypnotics, um, and your mood stabilizers. And those are all your psychoactive medications. And by hypnotic, you're referring to sleep medications. Correct. Like your um, examples would be like Ambien or um, Lunesta. Right. <clears throat> well, sleep difficulties are not unusual in institutionalized settings, certainly. And they are unfortunately quite common in hospital settings as well, but there are individuals who may not sleep well at home for um, uh, either just a lifelong characteristic or because of other medication, uh, medical problems that have arisen. So what do you tell people about hypnotics? You need to be very careful with hypnotics. And recently, um, there's been several FDA warnings that have come out with decreasing the um, maximum dose of medications. I actually had a student do a presentation on this today. Um, Lunesta has a cap dose of 2 milligrams now in the elderly population. And so um, you have to be very careful with sedative hypnotics. The elderly population is very susceptible to the side effects. 
um, particularly side effects like um, daytime sedation and falls and um, parainsomnias. A parainsomnia is going to be those kind of funky stories you hear of patients that are on Ambien, like sleep eating, sleep driving. Um, so elderly scary, folks are scary very, things. Yes, exactly. So elderly folks are very susceptible to the side effects of sedative hypnotics. It's very important that if you do have a loved one um, that has problems with sleep, um, you try non-pharmacological things. Um, like sleep hygiene, um, making sure that the bedroom's only used for sleep. Um, you don't want to watch a bunch of TV in there. You don't want to read in there. You can do all those in a different room and primarily making the bedroom a sleep and calming environment. Um, you you can know, relax. Un- unfortunately, we like the quick and simple solutions, and um, that leads to probably a lot more hypnotic use than uh, is desirable at this point, doesn't it? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, Tristan, we are going to go to a break, and uh, we will return for our fourth segment, and I'd like to follow up with you at that point on more discussion of psychopharmacology, so please stay with us. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matters system provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray Matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Neuromatters, the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuromatters. Neuromatters. 
Welcome back to our program. We have been talking with Dr. Trista Bailey, and she has had a wealth of information that I know is important to all of you in our listenership. And I'm so grateful to you, Trista, for taking some of your time to reach the general public and help them understand the kinds of things we're talking about here. We are talking about um, psychologically active medications now, and we talked briefly about hypnotics. Um, Let's go into what are referred to as the atypical antipsychotics. Could you talk a little bit about what these medications are, what they're developed for, and what this black box warning is about? Sure. Um, when you talk about antipsychotics, there's there's two t- different categories. There's your typical or conventional first generation antipsychotics, and um, fortunately, we don't see a lot of those used. They were what I call messy medications. They had some pretty dirty side effects. They caused a lot of tremors, a lot of Parkinson's-like symptoms. Um, so to combat that, drug developers made the atypical or the second generation antipsychotics. Um, now, some common examples of these would be Seroquel. Um, Risperidol, um, Olanzapine, which is Zyprexa. These are all going to be your atypical antipsychotics. They were originally um, used to treat things like schizophrenia. Um, They can be used in bipolar disorder. But unfortunately, what we see them used most commonly in the elderly population is used for patients that have um, inappropriate behaviors in dementia. And so those would be things like agitation. They may be hallucinations, although hallucinations are a central part of some dementias like Lewy body disorder, but it may involve hallucinations. It may involve paranoid ideation and things like that, right? Exactly. What is this black box warning? So a black box warning is basically the strongest warning that the FDA can uh, give for a medication. It's called a black box warning because... Um, on the package insert that comes with every medication, there's a thick black outline around the warning or a box around the warning. So that's why it's referred to as a black box warning. Um, but basically, it's um, showing that the FDA wants the, the prescriber and the patient to know that this medication has serious, uh, potentially life-threatening um, side effects associated with it. So it's meant to be... Um, kind of used as a a springboard for a conversation of risk versus versus benefits of the medication. Um, Now, antipsychotics do have black box warning, and the black box warning that they have have associated with them is going to be um, the risk of this medication being used in patients with dementia behaviors and causing sudden cardiac death. So that obviously is a, a, a very serious consideration. Now, the black box warning is there, but it does not say you may not prescribe this medication for this class of patients, right? Correct. It's really used as kind of a risk versus benefit. Um, there is patients out there that have very dangerous behaviors. They may be a harm to others or to themselves um, as far as like their, their agitation goes. Um, so they would be benef- this would benefit them, and they would need a medication like an antipsychotic. But for some patients that may just have slight agitation or wandering behaviors with dementia, um, they would be more appropriately uh, 
managed by using like something non-pharmacological, like redirection. Um, you don't want to give them a medication if you don't have to. And that's kind of the, the purpose of the black box warning. And certainly a medication in this class. And of course, we would have to recognize that schizophrenics get older too. In other words, if, some, if the thing that has kept somebody from being institutionalized throughout their lifetime because of schizophrenia, if a medication, an antipsychotic has kept them in the community, um, as they get older, they may continue on that medication, and necessarily so, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. But I understand that if a person is given, um, uh, let's say Seroquel is given to an older individual who's having some agitation in the nursing home, how then is that prescribing, how then is that medication appropriately followed up with that patient? Is there like a drug holiday down the line or something like that? Uh, What the best thing to do is to um, ask for gradual dose reductions routinely of medications. And um, as a consultant pharmacist, that is one of my things that I I push as well. So after a patient maybe exhibited some behaviors and they were um, potentially harmful, um, so they wanted to be able to treat them quickly, um, it's important that after six months to a year, you ask the doctor, well, do they still need this medication? You might try a gradual dose reduction of the medication. Say they were on 50 milligrams, let's try 25, and if they're still appropriately managed on that, maybe we can decrease the dose to the point where we don't have to do that anymore. Does decreasing the dose decrease the risk of cardiac arrest? Yes, it can. Mm -hmm. So that's the important item of information there. Let's go to a couple of the others now. Anxiolytics, anti-anxiety medications. You know, Valium has been the, uh, the old standby there for, gosh, I would have to say over 50 years now, isn't it? It has been around for a very long time, yes. And uh, Valium, of course, when when I'm working up a a patient with recent onset of dementia, Valium is one of those medications, or diazepam, is one of those medications that I would consider to be potentially causing memory problems. Definitely. Benzodiapines can um, mask or, or even worsen some of the symptoms of cognitive dysfunction. So um, what is the appropriate use of these medications in older individuals who may have uh, some degree of cognitive change? Well, when you talk about benzodiapines, um, there's a wide array. You have Valium, you have um, Ativan, you can have um, Restoril, and these are all different types of benzodiapines. When you try to pick a benzodiapine or anti-anxiety medication, you want to make it appropriate for the patient. So we actually, I, I refer to them as the LOT medications, or L-O-T, lorazepam, which is Ativan, Oxazepam, and Temazepam, which is mm-hmm. Restoril. And those are going to be the most appropriate. So first of all, Valium needs to be taken off in general because it has a very long half-life. Um, it lasts a long time in the body. Um, we talked about medications not being able to excrete appropriately. It's one of those medications that has a hard time excreting appropriately in patients because of kidney problems. Um, I I would like to jump in because we have just a minute left. Could mm -hmm. you talk maybe in 30 seconds about antidepressants and a continued use of tricyclics? Um, Tricyclics are a a very dangerous medication in the elderly population. Um, When we talk about antidepressants, we want to avoid the tricyclics because of the risk of side effects. It can have cardiac side effects. It can have um, side effects that cause constipation or dry mouth. So we usually try to tend to use the um, SSRIs, um, such as Celexa or Zoloft. 
And so they would be the preferred medications in that group. Well, I'm so sorry to rush you there on that last question, but it has been an engaging conversation. And I know that our readers have, uh, our listeners rather, have received a lot of good information from you. And I hope that we'll be able to do a follow-up program at some point. So, Trista, thank you so much for being here with us. Well, thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. Next week, we will be talking about financial exploitation of the elderly, and we will be talking about a very excellent banking system and some solutions that they are putting in place to help to reduce that. As always, I'm grateful to you for spending this hour with us on a, on a Tuesday, and I hope that the program has been helpful to you. I look forward to being back with you again next week. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Neuro Matters, the Brink of Alzheimer's. Please join Dr. Sam Brinkman again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.